Welcome to season three of the Gamers Change Lives podcast, Esports 101, Building a Business. Over the past year, we've talked with many esports professionals around the world. Our audience knows how to play games, and now they are eager to level up their skills in the business arena. This season aims to equip every esports entrepreneur with practical and useful knowledge to achieve success. Think of it as a mini course, Esports 101. And now your host, Tom Leonard. I'm Tom Leonard. I'm the host of the Gamers Change Lives podcast, where we talk about how esports can create jobs anywhere in the world. Play games, create jobs, change lives. Now, in season one, we talked about jobs. In season two, we talked about investment and sponsorship. I called it follow the money. And now here in season three, we're talking about how to build a business, how to get things done, esports 101. So really happy here to have uh, today's guest, Chris Tran. He's a Southeast Asia esports and gaming experience expert, and he has more experience than anyone I know uh, working at Riot Games. And we're going to hear all kinds of great stories there as well. Welcome, Chris. Oh, hi, Tom. Great, great to be here. So where, where are you speaking to us from? Oh, I'm actually sitting in Singapore right now, just looking out onto the ocean. Um, just pleased as punch to be here talking to you about the opportunities in esports and, uh, you know, my specific flavor of experience. Great. No, no, really, really appreciate it. Now, let's see, you grew up in the U.S., right? Yeah, I was born and raised in upstate New York. Uh, had a, I guess you'd call a classic liberal arts education in the Northeast and then uh, got into consulting, did that for 10 years, then uh, went back to Vietnam and was in advertising for 10 years. Um, got the opportunity to apply to Riot. Did my gosh darndest to get into Riot, was somehow like through a series of miracles successful and had a pretty exciting time of uh, my time at Riot, which was six years long. We're going to go through that line by line because I, I think that's a really oh. interesting story to be telling there because one of the things I was going to ask you is, and for no particular reason, you went to Brandeis? Yes, sir. Well, why Brandeis? Why, why, did, you, why did you pick Brandeis? And uh, why uh, I saw somewhere you were an econ major. It, what, yeah, you, I, I guess what the question I'm really asking here did you did you do any of that thinking about gaming and esports in your future? Oh gosh, no. I'll tell you, I was a kid. I was an immigrant kid, right? Um, I think I'm still an immigrant kid, just different countries, different places. But yeah, and I don't think I can call myself a kid quite so much anymore, Tom. Um, but like a lot of immigrant kids, my parents wanted me to be a doctor, and the best school I could get into was Brandeis. So I went to Brandeis, and then I did the pre med thing, and then. Two years into pre-med, I realized I did not want to be a doctor. And I thought, oh, okay, scarcity mindset. What can I do to make money from liberal arts? And the closest thing to a business degree in a liberal arts school is economics. So jumped into economics, did what I could, and then somehow landed a job at an internet service provider in 1995. So that gives you an idea of how old I am, where I am in history, right? Um and, and I, I think, Tom, you may re be part of the Wayback Machine as, with me. And I think 1995, we did not have graphical user interfaces as operating systems pretty common. Like, sure, Macintosh has existed, but they were more like toys and actual things that people use for things, right? And we didn't even have Windows 95 yet. Even though it was 1995, we were all on Windows 3.1, Windows NT. And... How I got that job in an internet service provider in 1995, even though I have an economic, I was studying economics, 
was that my roommates were working there and they said, Hey, we're desperate for people. We just need people. And we're going to, and like when they interview you, because they're going to interview you because they're interviewing everybody, they're going to ask you three questions. And this is the answer to these three questions and you will get the job. And that's how I dipped my toe into the world of tech. Um, uh, I guess, right. Um, and was able to continue a journey with video games that honestly started in 1983. Once again, dating myself again. Oh, so yeah. So what, no, no, uh, a lot of the things that you're saying there, you know, resonate because, because trust me, I'm older than you are. And so, um, what, what I remember is I remember it being at, at the Stanford Graduate School of Business and they always have people come, you know, entrepreneurs come in the evenings and talk. And there's one day this guy named Steve Jobs showed up and he had a Lisa computer. That's, mm. that's how old I oh, am. So yeah, you can do the math. I love, there. I love the Lisa. Right? It was so funny because he, he came and we're sitting there in the little auditorium. There weren't that many people there. And there he was down there demonstrating the Lisa computer. And we're like, whoa, that's really amazing sort of thing. So, um, mm. So yes, and so when you're talking about the uh, the graphics interface, and and then the time that you're talking about in the early in the mid '90s, I was working at a company called Packard Bell, and mm. we were the biggest computer manufacturer on earth, and but it, it, we were just trying to figure out how to work do things on the internet, which was just being kind of rolled out. So is yeah, it's mm. a whole different world. What you say triggers another memory for me because sure, Brandeis was the best college I could. I got into, but that's not what I chose it because I actually chose it when I was visiting the school that I ran into some upperclassmen who snuck me into the computer lab and loaded up Doom on SGIs. That's the so, real story. That's the real story. Right. But they're not like, but like SGIs, right? Like, it, like for those of you who don't know, SGIs were like supercomputers used for like um, back then molecular biology to do protein like to resolve those underlying structures of proteins and these guys had loaded doom on there and we spent like <laughs> my overnight trip to visit a, the college was spent just playing doom on supercomputers and i'm like this is where i need to be with people who are just like taking expensive toys and playing with them um and and like that's kind of a narrative that's helped structure my life ever since. And it's kind of funny to think about it that way. No, that, that, that is, that is a good story. Cause you never know where, where, where things might lead. And we just hear for, you know, so many people that we talk to around the world, you know, they talk about, you know, there's a PS one that they, they started out on sort of thing, you know, or, or, you know, or, or something even before that. But, but one of the reasons I'm, I'm spending a little bit of time here on Brandeis is that I've been talking to a lot of people overseas and they would really like to come to the U S to go to school. And a lot of times people overlook all the other schools that aren't Harvard and Stanford and UCLA and USC and, 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 and those, I mean, there's, it, there's so many places to go. And, and, and that is really good because what really signed you up there was that trip to go play, uh, play the video game. Mm. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. And I'm still friends with those upperclassmen that snuck me in. Right. That's the amazing thing. Like every day, they're, we're just still laying into each other for like silly things. <laughs> wow. That's great. That's great. So how did you go then um, from the U S to Southeast Asia? Because that's, that's not, a, not a, not an easy thing for anyone, even someone with, with your background 
to pick up and go literally to the other side of the world. So mm. what, what, what made you want to do that and how did you make it happen? Um, so I moved in 2005 and up until 2005, I, like I graduated from university and I'd been to Vietnam and Southeast Asia, like maybe once a year for the last like seven, eight years. So there's already like a familiarity to it. Um, but the inflection point or the decision point or the pivot point, there was a point where my father passed away in 2004. And I realized at that point that what was important to me wasn't my career, but to be attached to, let's call it a dwindling resource, which was family, which was my grandfather. My grandfather was still with us. So I made the choice to move back to Vietnam to be with him. Um, and then six months into that, my grandfather was gone. And so, Tom, I got to tell you, it wasn't really premeditated. I was just kind of half broken, right? Like in, in a span of a year, I'd lost my dad and I lost my granddad. Um, and in retrospect, I'd made the absolute right decisions. But when you're in it, you just like, you just, <laughs> you don't really know how you got there and you just want out. And it's like that Churchill thing, right? Like when you're, in, when you're going through hell, you just got to keep going. But that's how I got there. Um, yes, no, that's, hmm. that, that's good to hear because one of the things is if anyone sat down and said, this is the, this is the, this is the, the life I planned out and this is where I am on it. It's like, you got to be kidding. I mean, no, mm. no one, no, no one, you might have a, a, something in the distance, but yeah, I mean, uh, in the shorter yeah. term, that but doesn't work that way. Thinking about how I got there is just because I was lucky to have parents that put these values in me, right? Like where family and duty superseded this other stuff, right? And the, I don't know, like my parents taught me about grit and hard work because they're refugees, right? Like I was just thinking today, my my parents, when Ho Chi Minh City fell, when Saigon fell, right? Um, and my parents fled the country when my mom was two months pregnant with me, right? So imagine running from communists, getting, like bribing, like soldiers at the dock with a packet of, uh, with a carton of cigarettes getting onto a boat being at sea for a week getting picked up by the navy living in a um refugee camp for three weeks and then going to upstate new york where they met snow all pregnant with me right not knowing the language not having any money in their pocket etc so who am i to complain about anything that happens with my life <laughs> right yes yeah, oh, like, no, I, I, I was complaining about the line at Whole Foods today. It's like that's 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 not, that, not much of a comparison now, is it? Uh, it can be pretty traumatic, you know? <laughs> right? but yeah. yeah. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm, I, I, I think I'm very thankful for all the values and for all the hard work that my parents put into me. Um, and also, let me appreciate when opportunities come by. I do not let them go by. I chase them like a. I don't know, a cat chasing a butterfly, right? No, it's a good, good analogy there. Hey, I wanted to start out talking here about Riot because you, you were all excited to talk about Riot Games and that's exactly what I wanted to talk <laughs> about here because first of all, I, I, I'm going to assume there's absolutely no one in our audience that doesn't know what, know what Riot Games is. But can you talk a little bit about what Riot was doing in Southeast Asia uh, w when you started working over there? Sure. Um, 
When I started working at Riot in Southeast Asia, we had one game, League of Legends, a pretty, pretty good game. And we were working with a, a partner named Garena, right? And um, we don't work with Garena anymore. Now, are, um, they in, but, are they in India? Uh, Garena depends on the day of the week because there is, um, they are structured so that there is some Chinese exposure in their um, ownership structure. <laughs> and so, like, like, so I know that. Garena and the Indian government are trying to work out something, but I'm not really close to that. I don't know just as much as anybody else that reads the news. (laughs) But, um, you know, like one of our remits at Riot, like our overall vision is to be the most player-focused company in the world. And what that means for managing a region like Southeast Asia is that we want to be as close to the player as possible. We want to hear what the players hear. We want to play with the players. We want to really make players feel like League of Legends was built for the player in mind. And so when you think about the challenges of being globally consistent and locally resonant, it's it's not an easy one because globally consistent is pretty straightforward. But how do you build a compelling product that, let's just say Southeast Asia, right? That is compelling for the you know like predominantly roman catholic dem- like democracy that is the philippines and the buddhist monarchy that is thailand and then the communist like either buddhist or catholic thing that is vietnam or the muslim indonesian government <laughs> country etc it's hard it's really hard but we can't do it unless we're in the market and that's why we opened up our offices in southeast asia we started talking to people and we, for our spear tip to really engage and be close to the player, oftentimes it's esports because esports is a product that is both emotionally resonant enough for most players to enjoy, but also can have local market agency to really craft something that is special or even spectacular at times to serve a, a specific market. So that. That's why we're there. We want to serve players. We want to be close to the players. When I took over, um, Vietnam was one of the largest servers alone for League of Legends in the world. And over that time, we built some of the biggest League of Legends esports leagues. Um, you know, we launched Valorant in the region, Wild Rift, Teamfight Tactics. Um, we hosted a bunch of great esports events from like Rift Rivals to Hyperplay in association with ASEAN when Singapore was chair of the ASEAN group. Um, ASEAN, um, their, their general meeting per se. Uh, and, um, you know, MSI 2019, which is probably at for 2019, maybe the third or fourth largest esports event of that year. So, yeah, heady like times. Another, another age ago <laughs> compared to what yeah. happened right after that. Mm. Can, can you talk a little bit? Um, about one of the things I saw in your background was how you progressed within Riot Games. Oh, here, first I want to talk about, I should, I should have gone, how did you get the job in Riot Games? Because you said you, you, you were, you were chasing something that's probably more than a cat with a butterfly. You, you're, you're a little more vicious than that or a little more focused on that, maybe. How did you get the job with Riot? Yeah. And, and the reason so, that I'm asking is just because when people hear how other people did it, they're not going to be able to repeat your exact success. But mm. but there but it's going to give them ideas on how other people have done it. Yeah, I think the two things that somebody who wants to 
kick the door down and get into the gaming industry has to realize is that there's a credibility gap, right? And that can only be bridged by the mindset of you can never do enough, right? So at when I applied, I had been playing League of Legends easily for four years, right? Um, I wasn't good at it, <laughs> but I really loved it. And I've been playing video games since 1983. So um, intrinsically built into my DNA, I am a gamer. However, if you look at my resume, I am not a gamer. I have a degree in economics and biology. I was a consultant. I was in advertising. I've done everything but anything related to gaming. So what? You know, like what right did I have to apply? Nobody gave me the right. So I had to apply, but not just that. I had to do every gosh darn thing I could imagine, both reasonable, which are the obvious things. But I think what got me through the door were the unreasonable things, the things that were costly, painful, embarrassing to really push through. Um, I'll give you some examples, right? Good. I was going to ask. That's too good not to hear. (laughs) Yeah. Like the most easy thing is that I took a look at Riot's brand identity and read its press releases and learned how it liked to communicate and what fonts and what colors. I changed my resume and my cover letter to those fonts, right? Very simple. I realized that even because Riot was opening a presence in Vietnam, that Riot did not know Vietnam as well as me. Otherwise, I would already have someone. So I had to become Vietnam's foremost expert on video gaming. So I hired two research agencies, one qualitative and one quantitative, to do research on the Vietnam gaming industry only for me so that I would be the only one in the world with this information, right? The next thing I did was I hired a PR agency to conduct hostile interview training for me because I figured there's nobody who's going to do a worse interview or like a harder interview than a PR company, right? And so their job was just to beat me, beat me from being ironed into maybe steel or at least sound like steel on a phone call, right? Or or on a video interview. Um, so that's the third third thing, second thing I did, sorry. The third thing I did was, you know, I, I, I'm not a great video gamer. I love playing gamer games, but I'm not a, a pro, right? But I had gotten it into my head that to get into Riot, there would be a tournament portion where I would have to like play other people. And if I lost, I would not get the job. So I hired a professional gaming coach to just teach me how to be better at the game. And also by like, you know, like, Along the way, I also learned a bit more about what, how really high level gamers talk to each other and also how they made side incomes by ELO boosting and playing for other people. So then suddenly I had more information that Riot doesn't know about that I could articulate, not from working through an agency, but as a primary source. I could tell them how much they get made and like what applications they use, all that sort of stuff before I even got an interview. Right. Um, and so those are the kinds of things that were pretty critical to cross the credibility gap, right? To kick the door down, to do unreasonable things because I only had one shot, right? 
And like people always ask me, well, if you didn't get into Riot, would you still have gone into gaming? And I, I can't answer the question about what ifs, right? <laughs> I, I really can't. But I knew that if I didn't get into Riot with all the effort I put in, I would not feel bad. I would, I would leave everything I had on the field of battle and put everything I could out there. And I got in. After nine months of 13 rounds of interviews, I got in. Um, you know, and it was amazing. Would, would, you, would you not hire someone that did all of that to get to work for you? I mean, that, I mean, that's just like, it, it just, it makes sense that, that they would have picked you up. I would have at least interviewed that person. <laughs> right. Yes, yes. I would have at least interviewed that person. Cause a lot, there's a lot more than just doing the homework. You still have to like exhibit a lot of other things, but that is the minimum I think I needed to do to get into that interview situation. Right. And then the rest of it just manifested. Yeah, because because it's part of it that I wanted to ask about was how did you progress? How did you get yourself promoted within the company? Because the other thing that we always talk about or we, we talk about on here is like, how do you get the job? Oh, great. You know, you got the job, <laughs> then you're home free. It's like, okay. But I noticed in your background, you went from this position to this position to this position. Did you have a particular strategy or set of skills that you, you developed to be able to uh, progress within the organization? Oh, Tom, I wish I could tell you that I had a plan for progressing my career because it would make me really sound smart, right? <laughs> but part of the joy of being at Riot and part of why I joined it was the mission to be the number one, the, to be the most player-focused company in the world. Um, and even on my LinkedIn, I say the most player-focused coach in the world. And it's because the my North Star was the more players I served, the happier I made them with all the different metrics that we had in place. As I was building more player value that way, then, you know, in, in a reasonably just world, I would continue to go up. And that's what essentially happened. Did I try to manage my career or said, hey, I want this job title in X years? I don't think I can work like that, but I also don't think that sort of thinking works well at Riot, right? Now, I think what worked for me would be different from working for somebody else because being a fairly senior leader, it's not about hard skills, right? I'm not going to have to like say, like, oh, show that you know how to program with this framework or you know these latest methodologies on Scrum. I don't have to have hard skills, right? My, so my proficiency, my craft is really measured how I am creating more value and becoming more and more accountable for larger and larger things. It's about, you know, like volunteering for bigger scope or creating more opportunities um, for new things. So. No, it just sounds like you, you, you landed in the right place. For you, I mean, which is not always something that everyone everyone is lucky enough to do. When I work, just to date myself even more, is I worked at Netscape when Netscape was the biggest browser out there. Mm. It was the smartest group of people I have ever worked with. And I've worked at Netflix. I worked over here at Warner Brothers. Netscape by far. 
smartest group of people ever. And if we could have gone on there forever, it would have been a really fun, um, a fun job. One of the things I want to talk about here, and you touched on it a little bit, is on the culture side of things, because you're talking already about all the different cultures, all the different cultures, religions, uh, languages out there. How does that impact an esports organization, whether it's Riot or whether it's anyone else? How do they, how do they work within that, uh, that constraint out there? Because something we don't have here in the U.S. I mean, in the U.S., there's a little bit of cultural difference here, <laughs> here in L.A., but I mean, nothing like, uh, like, like what you're experiencing there. So how, how do, um, how do esports companies work with that? I don't think you can have a very clear strategy. I mean, you have a, a North star for sure. Right? No, I think you do have a strategy. Let me take that back. Okay. Right. Um, to approach a diverse geographic area with a lot of different cultures and a lot of different, um, you know, like government structures and a different, a lot of different languages. At the end of the day, you're still marketing to people. You're still generating a game that gamers love, et cetera. And you look at those, like the way you measure success, but the nuance comes in at where that everybody starts in a different place. Everybody wants slightly different things. And how do you create these tactics, these executional kind of vehicles that can honor the diversity, but also ladder up or build this greater metric for success, right? And every company struggles with that because you're always trying to build between the two constraints of what is the worst that can happen and hey, if we fully invest, could this be the next NBA, <laughs> right? Or could this be the next cricket or what have you? And you're always kind of like juggling between these things. And, and with esports, it even goes a bit beyond that in that we are in Southeast Asia, we are seeing that governments really recognize the power of esports, which means really, really. Yeah. Which, That's good. Which, That's which, good to hear. Oh, yeah. Another, um, another voice in the conversation, another set of, um, you know, like aspirations and ambitions, et cetera. And that's all dialogue. And so suddenly you have a dialogue with like the Indonesian esports association or the Thai or as a Singaporean, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so it's always fluid. It's always fluid, which can be a bit exhausting. But what's, what gives me great hope is everybody generally wants to move in the same direction. Everybody wants to create player value. Everybody sees how esports can create the next generation of heroes and role models and whatnot. Um, the challenge is everybody's coming from different experiences. The challenge is everybody has a different idea of how to do it. Um, and honestly, none of us have gotten it perfectly yet because esports is just still gosh darn young in comparison to just about any industry out there that doesn't start with crypto or AI. <laughs> yes, when you compare it to either, which it's it's always compared to either traditional traditional sport, or it's um, compared to in the entertainment industry because it's on a screen. Mm. It's like yeah, it's uh, it, it it's definitely the new kid on the block. What about language? How do you how do you deal with difference in language? How did you work on different differences in language when you were at Riot uh, with all the different people that you were working with across uh, the region there? Are you asking when I did business with people who don't speak English? Or are you talking about when we serve different markets who don't speak English or, or speak different languages? 
when you when you're working with with uh yeah different cultures different countries that are speaking different languages than than each other than than what you're speaking to them mm. do, do you do you do things go back to english or or how 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 is the communication different um depends on the market right uh at riot we were lucky that we had a diverse set of people who spoke a lot of the local languages like we had mandarin speakers we had Tagalog speakers, we had Bahasa speakers, we had myself for Vietnamese and some other people, etc. But you can't depend on one person for communications, right? So we had community management teams to help manage social media. Um, we worked with a lot of great partners um, to help, uh, you know, like create scale in all these markets that we're at because esports remains to be pretty people intensive. It you you still need a lot of people to put on a good show, and so we would work with great companies in each of our markets, help them understand our approach, help them understand like what our technology could do that may be similar or different than the stuff that they're used to. And also sometimes even prototype and like show new stuff with um, our part of the world before other people might've seen it as well. So um, it's always kind of like being nimble and agile and and trying to have like a general kind of idea of how things come up because esports is so quick. If a new technology or a new opportunity comes up, we just have to move fast because <clears throat> we never know what's going to be amazing. And our fans are really generous and patient and realize that if we miss a mark, they're generally forgiving, right? Because they know that we're just doing our best to like push the needle forward to just expand what esports can do and redefine it to pull it a bit away from, you know, like the screen t- TV <laughs> world or the traditional sports world and um, understand exactly what are the key design elements that make esports unique, exciting, um, valuable intrinsically on its own merits and not in comparison to things that already exist. I think it's interesting when you're talking about um, the, the, <laughs> The forgiveness, the, the 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 way that the audience, the fans, um, uh, will forgive uh, mistakes or missteps, or you know, uh, that, that may be in other areas they won't. I'm just thinking, like uh, you know, you think of, of uh, you know Marvel or DC. Marvel or DC can mess up, and people will stick around. I mean, because mm. they will let them know that they've m- messed up, but they're they're still going to come back. And I think that same same thing is true with um with with esports. Because people people are just kind of on that on that journey with each other. One of the things I wanted I did want to touch on here was because we're always hearing here in the US that Asia is mobile first. And is that I'm pretty sure that's that's the way it is over there, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's math, right? I, I gosh. You know Marshall McLuhan, the the medium is a message, right? <laughs> like but there's like an incontrovertible link between, you know, the distribution channel and the popularity of a thing. Right. Um, and we, and let's step away from the mobile world and think about consoles. Right. Some games will always be, will never be popular in certain parts of the world because there's just no consoles and that, and that's okay. Right. And likewise, or, or, but the difference is mobile phones are everywhere. But because consoles don't exist in Southeast Asia and because PCs are not nearly as well distributed, 
but everybody has a phone every and it's their primary everything device communications entertainment everything their primary banking device right that of course the the like everybody will use it as their primary gaming device um i myself my primary gaming device is the phone now i spent 2 3 hours a day <laughs> on my phone playing games even now um whereas it's got to be at least eight months since I played a game on my PC and that's okay. And you think things are, are moving, are moving more that direction all the time <sighs> or just your experience? You think? I think people in different parts of the world have different needs for how, when they play, right? Because like I just saw that was it uh, Stellaris just had this five year anniversary DLC. Right. And Stellaris is a game that you could never, ever play on your phone. Right. Um, and it's just like simple kind of constraints and the gaming session. When I was watching, um, you know, a GDC talk on Marvel Snap's design the other day, um, they just said, hey, on a phone, your longest session time is five minutes and you have to design towards that constraint. So. Will there always be a world where people will want to just play five minute games? Absolutely. Right. And the longest, <laughs> the longest game I, I play is like 25 minutes. Right. But anything longer than 30 minutes, it just feels like it's forever and I just need to be done with it. Whereas on the computer, you can be comfortable playing a game for like a three, four hour kind of stretch. And so the, the depth of engagement, the kind of stories, just like how readily you can immerse yourself versus a versus a PC or a mobile game, mobile device. It's just, you know, like they're not even an order of magnitude different. It's like the difference between an apple and a tuna fish sandwich, right? Like, yeah, you can both eat them, but you could never really compare them. And they serve different parts of like, of what you're looking for. And the world is richer for having them both. Right. Um, and so I don't think it has to be a competition between them. Um, like, I, I just think that the world is just a big place and gamers will continue to, you know, find things that fit with their schedules and their lifestyles well. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, certainly a lot of the people that we're talking with here, people in sub-Saharan Africa, it's like, mm. it's, it's mobile, mobile there. I mean, that's yeah. Because yeah, just just like just like you're describing, and it makes and that's why it's really really tricky. Or it's something people people in in other parts, well, people in the U.S. have to remember that that's what it's like in other places for all kinds of different reasons out there. And that because um, you know one of the things that we're always talking about is Twitch, and Twitch is not as universal as 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 maybe uh, some other platforms. Depending again, depending on what region you're in out there as to what's what's popular or is is youtube gaming kind of the biggest thing in southeast asia it really depends on the game but you'd be surprised at just how big facebook gaming is i was wondering, right? I was wondering. Yep. Right? like like youtube gaming is big right um facebook gaming is really is surprisingly big and i know that tiktok has been trying to make inroads into acquiring gaming content as well especially since it's so mobile first right um now, what are the defendable moats between any of these platforms? Hard to say, right? I think Twitch has their prime gaming kind of partnership 
um, and YouTube has better monetization opportunities for these platforms. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, the players will follow their favorite streamers or their favorite, favorite esports events, et cetera, um, which means that, you know, Twitch, YouTube, TikTok, Facebook have to continue to create scalable ways for it to make good business sense for these influencers and properties to stream on them. Um, and for now, a lot of the biggest events don't go exclusive anywhere. They go just go everywhere, which makes it really hard for any of these streaming platforms to really meaningfully compete. And so Facebook wins because Facebook's on all the phones and people use Facebook very, like very heavily in this part of the world, more so than YouTube or Twitch. And that's nothing about any direct feature or benefit that YouTube gaming or Twitch does vis-a-vis -vis Facebook gaming. It's just because people like Facebook more, therefore they'll use Facebook gaming more. Yeah, it's it's where the real it's the real estate's where they are, sort mm. of thing. So it makes yes. that it, it would make all sense because I don't think it, mm. it, it, you'd be hard pressed to make a good argument <coughs> that that um, uh, YouTube gaming is a different is a different experience than Facebook gaming versus Twitch. I mean, th there's there's little there's smaller things, but in the bigger picture, it's it, not a whole lot of difference. Mm. One of the things I want to talk about here as we move right along is now you're into coaching, right? Yes, sir. And you're yes, you're nodding your head. This is this is audio. So, <laughs> just kidding. Um, but one of the one of the phrases that I saw there that I I doubt that there's much you put on your LinkedIn profile that has not been thought through. And one of the so I, I one of the things I wanted to ask you about is you mentioned there about helping brave professionals championship them champion themselves. Can you talk about what a brave professional is? Absolutely. I think my own experience, my own personal experience is that, you know, like TV and movies have taught me that I'm supposed to be perfect. I'm supposed to be the smartest version of myself all the time. And um, if I work hard, everything's just going to work out for me. But then when you're in it, you fall under siege because there's this impression of who you should be. And then there's the impression of who you are and they're very different. And so, you know, like we call this imposter syndrome, right? The idea that you are not good enough, you should work harder. And then whatever you achieve also is not good enough. And you continue to have moving goalposts. And so the courage here is to accept that who you are is great. And you champion who you are, not champion who you should be or who you think you should be or who you can never get to. And so in like so many times in my own career, but also so many, so many Tom professionals in gaming and people who want to get into gaming, just look at what they want to do and just think, I'm not good enough. I won't try. Right. Or I'm not good enough. And I will work late every day, every weekend and ignore my family until I'm good enough and they still won't reach there. So what is the courage? What is the bravery here? It's just, just to like accept and stand your ground and say, Hey, this is who I am. And 
when you're brave and you're almost like standing up to the bully that is like this like ideal self that mass media has painted for you that who, who you think you're supposed to be right um it actually life gets much better life gets absolutely much better and my first three four years at riot i was i was a workaholic and i was like indulging in too much gaming too much travel too much food um to not feel so bad about being who i am even though i had a dream job I was working for a dream company. I was making other people's dreams coming true, right? I was like entertaining millions of people in ways that they didn't know they could be entertained before. So I should have been happy. But I I just always looked at everything I did and I said, oh, this is not enough. And so for me, coaching is the opportunity for me to help as many people as I can avoid that pain. Right. But it takes courage. Um, and, and it takes somebody in your corner to, to stand there and say, Hey, this is, it's understandable to be this way, but you don't have to be this way. And change is hard. Yes. Yeah. Complete, completely agree. Agree with the change is hard and that <laughs> people need to, um, it's a level of acceptance, but it's also a little level of uh, of understanding where where you are in the in the scope of things. Who are who are the kinds of people you coach, and who are the kinds of people you would like to coach? <laughs> I pretty have pretty much have three different like call it kinds of people I coach. Right, people who want to get into gaming, people who are mid level in gaming and are trying to switch into something else within gaming. And then senior level people who are trying to make bigger strategic decisions about the company and need like a thought partner or somebody who can give them space, like emotional space. So, um, and it's all interesting and it's all fun and it's all important, right? Um, people who are trying to get into gaming need somebody to give them permission to apply for things where they feel they're unqualified for, right? But no, that permission, same... per permission is, is, is a really interesting word that you you, you chose there. That, that's mm. really good. Mm. Same thing for people who are within gaming who want to sw switch to something else in gaming, right? Um, like, it's so strange to me, Tom, that the more successful you are at something, the less freedom you have. Right. The less freedom you have. Um, and so talking to the people who are like successful in one thing, but they're not satisfied anymore. And just the inertia of continuing or like the, I don't know, the fear of losing out. Right. Um, prevents them from actually trying new things and playing bigger and maybe <clears throat> making less money, but who cares if you're happier? Um, and so, like, those are the kinds of conversations that are really rich and fulfilling. And um, it, I just think it's a shame that there aren't more coaches out there to help people because there's just so many people who I've been able to help and I continue to help because it's, you know, it, there, it, it helps heal the fundamental rift that call it unreasonable standards 
<laughs> that we are shown from mass media that just don't exist, right? Or just these expectations that we that we put upon ourselves that you know, like sometimes we talk to ourselves in crueler language than we would talk to anybody else, and that lack of self kindness is terrible all mm. the time, right? Mm. And I'm as guilty as that, and of anyone, and you are as well. Um, but you know, hopefully, you and I we've gone through the looking glass a little bit, crossed the eschaton, and we're like, okay, buddy, we've been there. <laughs> Maybe we can like help help prevent some pain for you. <laughs> Yeah, to, to to show people th- that there is another side, not to mm. get too too deep into it here, but it's like because a lot of people are just like, well, what are the what are the choices? It's like even if I wanted to change, it's like how you know what else is out there, and yeah. uh, just giving that whole permission thing is is really good to give people the idea that maybe there is that that things really can be can be different. It's like if you want to start a podcast, start a podcast. It's like, you know, there's, 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 it's, it's always been really surprising how many, how many people you put limitations on themselves that are completely unsupported. Mm. I mean, it's like, yeah, that's, that's, that's a whole lot deeper than I usually go. I mean, nobody gave me permission to get into gaming. Nobody. Yes. Yes. Right. In fact, everybody told me that I was wasting my time. I was wasting my money to hire these agencies and these consultants and these coaches. And I said, yeah, but it's my money. All right. And I wanted to see if I could do it. And nobody gave me permission. And we live in an age where we have more access to knowledge and tools and leverage and networking ever for free. Yet, because we all have the access, it's so easy to say, oh, anybody can do it. So it's probably not that worthwhile. And I say that's wrong. It's not because everybody can do it that's not worthwhile. It's because everybody can, anybody can do it, but nobody puts in the effort to try anything and they just assume that nothing good is going to happen. That's where people get stuck because even if you try and you fail, the act of trying will transform you and make you into somebody closer who you're supposed to be. Right. And, and I've, I like to talk about how, you know, like every L can be a lesson, not a loss, right? What are you learning? What does a gamer mindset, how does a gamer mindset help you beat imposter syndrome? Because when you're playing a game, I am not Link from Hyrule, but I get to play as him. I will fight monsters and die. And that's okay, because I will like come back and try again in a different way. I will try to find the magic sword. I will do all that stuff. But in life, I won't apply to a job because I just know that I'll fail. Maybe, maybe you'll get an interview. Or maybe you'll have a nice conversation with an HR person. Or, like, there are so many things that can happen if you put effort into it. You have so many opportunities in this world, right? And if and you I'm, don't put the opportunity, if you don't put the effort in it, you can pretty much guarantee none of it will happen. Yeah. As action transforms you, inaction will also transform you. Yep. One of the things I always tell people is it's like so many things in, in real life. And we talked to um, uh, um, Gerald Solomon who runs NACEF here and what, and it, what his program, the North uh, North American Scholastic Esports Federation. But what he's doing is he's doing training. Was, the, the way that he got into it, I thought was really super interesting um, because 
they wanted to figure out how to reach kids where they were, where they lived, instead of going out there. And it's like, where, the, where are they? Well, they're, they're playing games. Well, if we, if, we, if we work on a curriculum that can help them not to become better players, other people are doing that, but how you can use the skills that you know in, that you can pick up in gaming to, and apply it to other parts of your life. Mm. And to take it and to understand that um, I always like when people are talking about there's there's, there's a million jobs outside of uh, uh, the streamer of the player that are involved in esports you, and you don't you don't have to be you don't have to be the best streamer you can be the best accountant and still be involved in esports yeah. and so on so they're just um, but it's esports can teach so many other things I mean, the whole program that they put together I thought was was really interesting. It's very holistic. It's very like, you know, here's all the things that you can learn and you can have fun at it by playing games. Mm. Engaging the young, the young people of this generation is one of the harder things to do. But, you know, like things like esports, when you capture that attention, you can really take that opportunity to equip them for the future, right? And you're like, oh, best accountant can do this. I'm like, a good accountant, right? Or what are the things that you learn from sports, right? Like how many people do sports? Many, many, many. Like I think the high school co sports coaching industry is like $19 billion, Tom. $19 billion. Now, how, so like you can imagine like the millions of kids who are in after school sports programs. How many of them? Become professional athletes. How many of them stay in shape after? Very few. But that's not the point. The point is they learn sportsmanship, fair play, leadership, communications, resilience, um, all these amazing things. Teamwork. Right. You know, like all these things to supplement what a traditional like education gives them because a traditional education oftentimes leaves gaps and what a kid needs to know to be part of the world and sports helps that and esports can help that. And yes. it's, and like, it's not a physical, not the value isn't how many actions per minute you have. Right. It's not, but it's all the other things. It's focus. It's grit. It's how to allocate resources and manage risk. Right. How do you like try to like understand what is happening from very limited information? These are all things that. You can't really measure, but you know it will be valuable um, and help prepare our kids for the future. And where else, except in esports, there, there are probably other examples, but where else can you do it with almost no risk? It's like you're playing a game and you die. It's like, okay, you just reboot. I mean, it's just it, it, the risk. You, you don't have to, man, I'm going to remember a really good analogy here. But it's like, you know, you could, you, you, you can learn. That it's okay to fail, and because there are you know, and to learn from the the uh, from that failure that is out there. It was mm -hmm. um, now nah, I'm gonna forget. It, it, someone it was a political figure. I, I remember he was saying that what he wanted to do was he wanted people to go out and fail in high school. He said because high school you can bounce back. Later on, as as you get older and more set in the world failure is more painful but mm. he, he he was thinking and he got he got a lot of bad press for it but i thought you know that's that's really true 
I mean, it's like, okay, you know, how can you, um, how can you learn from this? How can you, how can, you won't learn from it if you don't go through it. Right. And to go through it, there has to be either courage or the right kind of systems in place to help everybody through. Yes. Hey, one, one last thing I want to ask before I take your whole day here. Um, mm. I see that you are really, really active on LinkedIn. Mm. And one of the things I want to say, I, you're, you're, you're one of the most active people out there. And the content that you provide is really good. Not, I'm not just saying that because I want to say nice things to my podcast. Uh, yes. <laughs> no, uh, what I've found, which I usually do anyway, but, but your content is really good. And I wanted to just ask you, what is your LinkedIn strategy? What, what, are, you, what are you doing there? And how do you do it? Thinking about failures and, and like uh, the more you fail, the kind of more resilient you are. I'll tell you, Tom, half the time I like either thinking about the things I've failed at and how I would do them differently and just posting about that, right? Or thinking about what like either like, you know, like what, like I think one of the things I do are, uh, is like participate with, um, I, I have free consulting time for people who want to connect up with me. Right. Um, I'm, I'm taking a slight break now, but, um, normally I, I do like several hours a week and just asking, answering the questions that they ask me, right? Like, how do I remain relevant in this age of AI? How do I, um, like really like what worked for me, Chris Tran to get into the gaming industry wouldn't work for a game designer or a artist, et cetera, et cetera. But what are the kind of techniques or uh, things that would work? for somebody in this day and age um, and just giving, right? Like just, just giving the advice in different ways. Um, because I think I tell you, man, it's just fun. It's just fun. It just makes me happy. And I'm just like, what, what's going to be like interesting for me to write about today that people will find interesting. Like <laughs> I just wrote and put out an, a, a very short write up on, that talk that from uh, Ben Brode from Second Dinner about the design of Marvel Snap because I thought it was fascinating and I just wanted people to look at it. And if it's just one person reason, they're like, oh, wow, this is really interesting. It gets 1% better at game design, job done. Job done. And like, like when you have a really low bar of success, it just frees up you to just write all sorts of stuff, right? So I think when you're prolific, when you write a lot, People will remember your hits and forget your failures. And I think that's just the nature of being human. So if somebody wants to get into the LinkedIn game, just write, 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 you know, and then, you know, like take what works or what doesn't work for you and just share it. Be very honest about your blemishes and bruises along the way, because that's the interesting stuff, because you are not going to be the only one who's ever stubbed their toe. But if you can prevent one person from stubbing their toe, that is a blessing. That is a job well done. Man, I sound so gosh darn preachy, Tom. <laughs> That's, no, I was leading. I was leading you down. I was leading you down that path. Because, uh, yeah, I think there's uh, one of the things. Though I will almost bet the way you were describing that is when you are um, now. I, I'm pointing it back back at you. Um, when you were doing your, your free sessions, someone just casually noticing your 
the way you set that up, you'd be like, oh, you're, you're, you're helping these people out. I will bet that one of the things you're, one of the reasons you do that is so you can learn what's on people's minds. So it's, it's like, so you, you, so, so you say, man, everyone's, everyone's talking about AI or no one's talking about AI. And I think I thought everyone would be talking about AI. I could just see that you're trying to learn mm-hmm. from them as well. Am I wrong? I mean, there's always information shared, but I'll tell you, it's really more of when I applied for Riot, it was lonely. And I wish there was somebody who would just give me an attaboy along the way or saying, hey, you don't need this. Or like, you know what? You could do this a little bit better. And likewise, when I was in Riot, I wish there was somebody who'd be like, you know what? This is normal. Or, hey, you're talking crazy, Chris. Don't do it. (laughs) Right? And Along the way, yeah, I will hear what they're going through. I will get some other stuff, but there's, but that's not really what's like. the The intention oh, is to serve. To oh, oh, and I did. I did not want to uh, <laughs> insinuate that, that that was your intention. But I think one of the things in talking to you and understanding a little bit more about what you're doing is, I think you're someone that, that tries to learn from every interaction. Oh, and and it's it's not not that you are you are setting up these interactions just for your own personal benefit. But it's like, if you're going to have these interactions, it's like, what, what can I learn from this uh, to help me that I can maybe pass on to the next guy sort of thing? No. Or gal, yeah. Oh, well, that's absolutely right. Like everything is a learning opportunity if, if you can like just position it right. <laughs> yes. Yes. Hey, you know, I'm going to I'm going to wind up here because I, I could just keep going and and it, it will just take too long. So, yeah, I really appreciate you talking, uh, taking the time here to talk about eSport, talk about culture a little bit, talk about Riot. And, and so on, and a little bit about coaching. So what's next for you? Are you going to be a coach for the next few years? Uh, I'm going to be a coach for the next few years. I'm still continuing to play on my second favorite video game, which is LinkedIn, right? Um, because it's just fun um, connecting with people. I, I like just engaging with, with people when I can. Um, I am very curious slash terrified about what's going to happen with AI, and I, I oscillate. Right. Like, because we're, we're at another inflection point of how technology is going to shape our lives. And because I have a little bit of perspective, because I have a little bit of freedom, uh, I think it's important for me to have a point of view and just continue to explore with what is possible. And yeah, I, I don't have a strong hypothesis about what's going to happen with AI, but because of that, I, I feel like drawn to it, like a moth to the flame that I just need to like gaze upon it and like see what is useful or what is interesting for me and what is, what are the parts of it that I don't really apply to me. I think everybody should like be thinking about certain materials like that because, because I think AI is one of those things which is going to just change so much about what we do. No, I completely agree. And there's there's so many things that, that kind of come and go that <clears throat> that I don't think are necessarily going to have a long-term uh, impact. Yeah. But this one, it's like, mm, get ready. Yeah. I, Tom, I, I just noticed that like every time you ask me a question, I just like go start rambling on about like a thing that we could talk on for another like half hour. So apologies no, on that, man. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. No, I tell you, no, and like I always tell people, like if you want to talk to people, start a podcast. Because the other thing is you could, people will, answer your phone call or answer your emails for the first thing, but also uh, you get to talk to uh, really interesting people. And if you, mm. if you're not talking to interesting people, it's on you because mm. you, you're the one that have, has, has arranged the conversation or in this case, it's on Reginald. 
is mm. not here because <laughs> he he gets all the credit for uh for reaching out to people yeah. so i'm going to assume that people can um find you on linkedin is the best me place on LinkedIn. to reach out to you blow me up on linkedin i will uh, i will try to answer if i can i um you know um and we'll, we'll see what magic happens okay and, and yeah so when you go out there and 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 find chris tran on linkedin make sure you mention the gamers change lives podcast he'll give you a good deal <laughs> yeah not putting you on the spot so so one of the two things that we're doing here in uh just in wrapping up here there are, one of the things that we're doing this season that we haven't done before is we have exercise worksheets if you go out to the to the web page at gamerschangelives.com for each episode you're going to see worksheets that keep you give you ways to think about what it is that we've been talking about in each episode <clears throat> we also have the the new Facebook group, not the Facebook page, but the Facebook group where you can connect with others who are also um, talking about the same kinds of things out there. Because one of the things we always find is the best teacher is someone else that's going through the same thing as you are. So again, Chris, thanks for your time. Thank you for your time. It's been a blast. Thanks for listening to the Gamers Change Lives podcast. Play games, create jobs, change lives. You've just heard the Gamers Change Lives podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment and leave a review. And if you haven't subscribed, do so right now so that you can stay up to date with episodes as soon as they're uploaded. And so you can hit the ground running on changing your esports adventure forever. You can also visit us at GamersChangeLivesPodcast.com. Play games, create jobs, change lives. Thanks for listening.